Entertainment's podcast from Bottomline Technologies. Earlier this year, we saw the release of the Treasury Fraud and Control Survey Research Report for 2020, which questions 350 corporate practitioners and bankers as to where their organisation stands in the fight against fraud. Completed with Strategic Treasurer, we previously went through the findings in depth on a webinar which is now available on demand on the Bottomline website. But today we're asking the question, why? Namely, why do 76% of corporates believe the threat of fraud has increased in the past year? Hello, I'm Rich Williams, host of the Payments Podcast. And today I'm joined once again by Julian Laurent, Market Development Manager for Risk and Fraud at Bottomline. Hi, Julian. Hello, how are you? I'm, I'm well, I'm hope you're keeping safe and well yourself. Yes, yes, trying, trying. So let's start then with the finding that most respondents believe that the threat level associated with fraud had escalated in the past year, uh, growing 50% over a three-year period, in fact. This was a notably lower figure uh, in EMEA, 36%. Now, what do you think explains this discrepancy, Julian? Is there less of an issue with fraud in EMEA, or are they just doing more to curtail it? Um, I think we, you know, it's like every statistic, you have to take it with a pinch of salt. Uh, there could be many variables in there uh, in terms of, you know, the, the means of reporting figures, what is qualified as a fraud or not. So, um, you know, we're, we're going to go with those numbers, but um, it, it's not a judgment on other areas outside of EMEA, just what the numbers are saying here uh, with, with all the the room for error that comes with a sort of statistic. But I think it's fair to say that um, the EMEA has put a big focus on on, on this and, and trying to tackle it with many different um, issues. So you have a big push in terms of uh, um, technical advance for um, validating the client, validating the name that's help reduce fraud. There is a big push as well on the regulatory side um, to help uh, identifying uh, fraud and reducing a lot of the new payment scheme uh, come with compulsory uh, element of uh, fraud detection. So there's clearly uh, a lot of awareness in EMEA. I think, uh, I think um, the regulators are doing a good job to force um, the communication around this. Um, so yeah, it's, it's probably a, a case uh, that EMEA might be better. The gap here is huge, so that's why I'm putting a bit of a caveat on uh, on the start. Um, um, there might be different factors, but there is definitely a, a good uh, a good wave of information about it, a, a good awareness across EMEA. Yeah, it's really interesting to see that the perception of threat differs so much based on the geography. Uh, and I wonder whether training could be a factor in this. So you mentioned a moment ago that fraud is is better documented and, and invested in in the in the EMEA region. And there's certainly a bit more awareness. So does this mean that employers and employees are trained better to identify, report and avoid fraud in this area? Yeah, they certainly um, it's a regulatory aspect that we we have to provide training um, to staff um, in the EMEA region. Um, it, it's part of uh, any fintech company has to provide those trainings. So that that for sure influences this uh, quite a lot. I think it's also uh, again since there's uh, so much more publicity around it and. Uh, 
and sort of a consumer protection group that are, are standing up and uh, are making a very uh, very clear statement about what the um, fintech organization and financial institution need to do to protect the customers uh, are very strong in the MEA. So uh, all of that put together is really helping uh, reducing that. And, uh, and obviously there's some very public um, instances where fraud have been rampant in some large businesses, which um, also have a collateral damage to, to the business, not just to the customer. So I think businesses are very aware and, and, and looking for uh, improving this aspect. So uh, awareness and an appreciation for the seriousness of, of anti-fraud measures is, is one thing, but if we're seeing the importance of, of training increase, does this mean that organisations are actively implementing controls to prevent fraud, Julian? Yes, um, they, they, they are quite a few um, controls that we see on a regular basis. In, interestingly, though, I'm not always sure that it's at the, the right level. Um, and this is um, this is why we see stats like 32% uh, only of a system monitoring or, or user monitoring compared to 54% in a wider audience, which is an interesting number. And I think with that, in my opinion, um, we tend in the MEA to focus maybe a bit too much on endpoints. Um, endpoints into the lingo of uh, cyber fraud and cybersecurity is the point of entry to your network. Um, so where um, actors can try to get access uh, to your organization. Um, but I think sometimes what is a bit neglected is the point of exit. And, and where things get out of your control. And, and therefore, if you didn't catch it then, it's too late. They managed to, uh, to perpetrate whatever they wanted to do. And it's, I think sometimes we need to be, um, it's, it's easy to get lost in a number of endpoints because nowadays with technology evolving, uh, there is so many endpoints, you know, the mobile phone application, the online banking, the, the, the remote workers, uh, it, it, it's almost becoming handless. Um, but it's good sometimes to just slow down a moment and think, right, what are these actors after? They usually after three things, your money, your data, or your resources, uh, such as, uh, for example, mining Bitcoin, uh, using your um, power uh, and computers and so on. But if you, if you look at your business and assess what is the most value commodity that I have within those three for them, what they're more likely to attack, and if it's money, well, you, you, you surely do need to do a lot of things to protect the endpoint as well. But you need to make sure that the escape door to which they might try to run out with your money is also uh, monitored. Right? So, so it would be a bit like guarding the front door of the bank and, and assuming that nobody gets in, therefore there's no need to uh, survey the back door. Well, in this case, this is where there's sometimes a bit of a disfrequencies in terms of the strategy around what you protect and how you go about it. In, in my way, I think you need to protect both doors and then move inward until the, the measure you set are meeting in the middle and you have protected everything. Do you think that perhaps um, businesses, are, uh, or rather the community in general, is, is a bit too blasé, a bit too casual about this? What do you think is the catalyst for you know, the reason why there's such a discrepancy between different geographies? 
I don't know if it's blase. I think it's um, you, you face sometimes different threat depending on the behavior of your customers. Uh, so if you are in a region which is very much very high tech, uh, very mobile based, very uh, uh, diff different means of, of payment, for example, taking to, to, to our ways. Um, and, and in some of the geography, they might be a bit more old fashioned with it. So your focus has to be slightly different. So it, it, it's, a, it's a succession of factors, um, but I think it, it came with its danger as well because hackers don't have borders. So if they realize that because your main market is mostly focused on maybe um, more conservative way of banking, for example, um, that, that wouldn't stop them to try to use tricks that are um, based on other market and have been proven successful elsewhere. So investor is really to recognize that the, the fraudster don't have any borders. They will use uh, techniques that they developed elsewhere against you as well. That's really interesting. So let's move away from the geographical differences now and look at size. So uh, I presume there's a different approach between smaller and larger businesses. And we'd naturally presume that larger organizations have got more funds and more resources to invest in advanced anti-fraud controls. Um, but are they truly more likely to have taken action against uh, fraud, Julian? Again, it's, it's difficult. I think it's when you look at the, the stats, it depends on where the businesses are in terms of other aspect of investment that they need to do, like continuity, continuity plan, uh, reaction plan to things like today, uh, the, the, the crisis we're facing with uh, COVID-19. So I'm sure that everybody intend to invest, but they, they have to set priorities and Interestingly, with this, when you tend to do this, you tend to look at it from yesterday's data. So if you have not yet been victim of fraud, you tend to think to yourself that, OK, we're not a primary target, um, but we have higher issues with this. So the logic will dictate that you you then prioritize other things that have been more damaging to your business historically before you invest on something which is theoretically damaging. The issue with that approach obviously is once you get compromised uh, and someone does an incredibly uh, massive damage to your organization, well, it's too late to do something about it. So it's, it's a very difficult balance uh, for the, the, the companies out there to decide the, the, the right mix between what could happen and what had happened and make the decision. That's really interesting as well. So th there's obviously a difference between uh, acting before the fact and taking measures after the fact. And this might seem like an obvious question, but I think it's one that's important to ask you anyway. Um, do organizations that have a payment fraud detection solution in place already uh, encounter and see fewer losses? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it's it, it sounds obvious, but it, it's not uh, funny enough. So, yes, there is seventy five percent fewer losses uh, when uh, when company uh, in, install fraud detection in place, depending of the, the the configuration as well. Because, like everything, both system uh, can bring great result if you invest in it. You need to to spend the right time to set it up properly uh, and to use the, the machine learning features to be best. Um, but uh, at least we've seen at least 75% fewer losses. Um, but 
what we also see is that not everybody are putting those uh, in place, although it seems so obvious, um, but they're not always been uh, implemented and that sometimes leave the door open for a criminal to to manage to steal funds still. So it's 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 a mixed bag. Uh, are, they, uh, are they working? Yes, uh, very well, but you you also need to invest in them because the criminals are very sophisticated. They will try to blend within your normal uh, flow. They will try to understand how your flow are working before trigger an attack. They can sometimes infect systems for quite a few months uh, and, and really trying to, to understand what your flows are. So you need to apply very sophisticated uh, solution that looks at multi-angles, uh, multi-dimension of your payment in order to make sure you can stop them. So that's looking at, uh, I suppose, a sort of software angle there, Julian. So how do we stay ahead of these increasingly sophisticated attempts by, by these um, fraudsters and, and hackers and so on? Um, but jumping back to training, um, what effect does this have on the, the prevalence and the, the recurrence of, uh, of fraud? Well, it, it's a very good point. I mean, at the end of the day, we, you heard me mention that before, we, we call it the human firewall here at bottom line and the human firewall needs to be updated. So uh, sadly, right now, there is a huge increase in um, phishing, scam, which rely on the human factor and human concern around uh, COVID-19. So there is a huge increase of website registration, which uh, is closely monitored because some of them are, are don't have uh, very helpful purposes. They're here actually to to hack and to to uh, attack systems, emails that are um, supposedly being helpful information, which are in fact um, uh, malware. Now they are relying on the fact that people are not as focused at the moment. They're concerned. They 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 need more information, and there is no there is no cutting a break when it comes to that from the fraudster, they will exploit this situation to the advantage. So the, the, the more training you can give uh, on a most regular basis, uh, finding ways to make it efficient, such as e-learning platform uh, that allow you to edit content and, and make it available to your staff on a regular basis is, is critically important. So how about ransomware or, or cyber fraud or, or malware solutions? How can they help businesses stay, stay a step ahead or stay as protected as they can be? Well, again, it, it, it's a mix between um, technology and human firewall. So often what I've witnessed talking to some of our customers uh, and, and their employees, so not, I'm not talking about the security department because they're very well aware, but when you talk to employees, they tend to think, well, my company is taking all the steps to keep us safe, so I don't have to worry so much when I'm looking at my work email or, or so on. And to a certain extent, it's true. Um, of course, your your company will have put firewalls in place, anti-malware, anti-viruses. Um, but what people need to understand, and and I think uh, today is a good day to 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 make the correlation, is that they work exactly like vaccines. Um, your organization uh, software are relying on database of known viruses, definition of known viruses. So when data comes in, they are looking at the code that is coming in, and if it's similar to a known virus, they will then block it. 
However, it doesn't work when it's a brand new one. So a little bit like if you did get your NHS shot earlier this year for the common flu, it won't protect you against what we're facing today because they are different. And, and so the, the, the antibodies that you have can't stop it. It's exactly the same when it comes to uh, malware, ransomware. So there, again, education, knowing not to click on certain link, um, to really understand that although you have everything in place, uh, there's such a thing called zero-day exploit when it's a virus has been used for the first time, no one knows what it looks like, therefore we can't defend ourselves against it. And so that's important to 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 understand that and uh, and that people need to be very careful when they clicked on anything. That comparison of a, of a firewall or as a, an, an antivirus solution of being a bit like a vaccine is uh, quite terrifying and certainly extremely topical. And I think we have to uh, accept the fact that whilst the, the majority of communities and businesses will try and strengthen and and support each other, uh, malicious individuals and malicious parties uh, will definitely try and exploit people. Uh, and more often than not, people are, are the weak link. We, we like to help. We like to be responsive. Um, so that uh, trifecta of people, process and technology, it's often people that are the fallible ones. So if we look at how uh, bank mandate fraud or, or business email compromise can affect a company, these are techniques that can catch out even very well-educated employees if they're trained on fraud. So can you give us a, a bit of an explanation of how that can be mitigated? Yes, and, and, and you're really right on a comment you did before, that it's, it's they're relying on our willingness to act fast and to be helpful and to support, and, and they're relying on uh, people being busy, multitasking, and that's very human trained. Uh, now, when it comes to um, the, the fraud mandate, uh, it's, again, Training makes a big difference. Uh, we see that uh, in company they have a, a strong training. There is a, a, a fourfold of uh, lower frequency of fraud. Um, but it's also be aware of um, other factors such as your supply chain, for example. So I think we talked before in another podcast about the island opening. Um, this is when a fraudster realized that you have quite strong defenses. So they're going to try to understand what's your supply chain. So for example, if you have an office um, with a coffee shop in front, they can sit here and after a couple of days, they will find out who comes and fix your electricity, your plumbing, your coffee machines. Those supplier might not have invested uh, sufficiently in cyber protection. And when, when you received an invoice from them, you will have been well trained not to open attachment from uh, a, a non-known sources, but these people are a known source. So there is an element of, uh, we need to look at our supply chain, evaluate what our capabilities are, and then make decision on how we accept the uh, billing. Um, in some extreme cases, uh, you might want to um, revert to letters and paper invoice only, uh, if you know that one of your suppliers has done uh, zero investment into uh, cyber protection. So there is complicated factors to review, um, but we need to understand not only who is it that is sending me something, but also who are they in terms of their technology awareness and uh, and how much of uh, protection they have in place. 
I suppose the underlying factor of all this is that there, there is no, um, you know, there's there's no end game. There's no final boss you can complete and sit back. You, you need to constantly adapt and constantly be vigilant, perhaps even more so at, at times like this when people will exploit the vulnerable, whether it's the, the vulnerable person, the vulnerable process or the vulnerable technology. Absolutely, yeah. So as we start drawing to a close now, Julian, uh, let's finish by looking at sanction screening. Uh, it's a topic that organisations are slowly increasing their understanding of and placing more importance in. Now, originally, this was the responsibility uh, of the banks themselves, and we're seeing this shift into the hands of companies now. So how are sanctioned entities and countries um, uh, prevented from being passed through uh, a payment process? So that, that was very staggering data there when we saw that one in 12 company have paid a sanctioned company. Uh, that's that's 8%. This is huge. Um, it doesn't seem like it, but that, that's, that's monumental. And when you see, um, if you put that in perspective on how much money that could be and what it could finance, it's, it's, it's quite um, a scary thought. I think that um, the perception that sanction is a, a bank job is probably the issue here. Um, sanction is everybody's job. Um, yes, the bank are more equipped because it's a bigger part of a daily business. But as a business owner, you are responsible to whom you are doing business with, whether you are uh, buying from or uh, paying. It, it, it's anytime you are selling even your product, you have to be conscious that you are selling something of value that could be resold in exchange of cash that can be then used for a reason. So what we found is that a lot of uh, corporates get caught up by thinking that this is a, a banking job. It isn't. Uh, as a matter of fact, depending on your jurisdiction, if you are attempting to uh, trigger a payment to a sanctioned entity using your bank, uh, they might have a duty to report. Uh, well, in most most instances they do, uh, to report this to the regulator um, to make a, an incident report. Uh, so even if they block the payment, um, they still need to, um, to report the fact that this was attempted. And you have to make sure that you have your own sanction program in place so you do not submit payment. Uh, to a sanctioned entity or accept payment to a sanctioned entity, right? So uh, depending on your jurisdiction, you're, you're not allowed to sell. So for example, US technology, uh, even if it's a technology, is not allowed to be sold in certain region. And for a corporation, that's, uh, that's a huge amount of work. Um, I'm not even going to get started on dual use good um, because then we need another podcast for that. <laughs> <laughs> Any closing remarks, Julian? Um, no, I think, you know, it's um, it's difficult times for sure, but there are people here uh, to help. Um, by all means, we always invite our customer to, to come to us. We're, we're taking steps to raise education when we can. We're, we're keeping a close eye. Um, but it's, um, it's just to take the time. We will need to take time to evaluate um, uh, what's happening and uh, although the, the fact that things are a bit stressful and uh, and people are loaded um, it's always best to, to just take a breath check again and um, and be sure to make the, to do the right thing Julian thanks very much for joining me today and I'm sure we'll welcome you back onto the podcast again in the very near future thank you 
For those of you that would like to delve into the Treasury Fraud and Controls Report in more detail, you can download it for free from the Bottomline website, and you can also check out the on-demand webinar discussing the numbers with our partner who compiled the report, Strategic Treasurer. On behalf of Bottomline Technologies, we hope that all our listeners are taking appropriate measures to stay safe and well during these difficult times, and would encourage anyone who is concerned with their business continuity, best practices, general support, or even just like to chat to please speak with us. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. We'll be back with some more podcasts very soon. And in the meantime, you can listen to more episodes on all things payments at the touch of a button using your preferred provider. And we'll see you all next time. Podcast from Bottom Line Technologies.